0: And welcome to another edition of Across the County. I'm Noah. Thank you so much for joining me. Well, it is a pleasure, an absolute treat, to have my next guest on the show. And we're taping this in advance because, well, he likes to observe his religious tradition, which in my mind, there's nothing more important than taking the things that we do for God on a very serious note, and I'm talking about Michael Medved. Now, you haven't heard him here a lot on Salem, San Diego, and The Answer, San Diego, KCBQ. You still hear him across the Salem radio network with his various issues aboard the Salem Town Hall commentary, and Michael also has columns on political media, which is frequently seen in USA Today, and yes, he still has his three-hour radio show from Seattle Monday through Friday. Find it at Michael Medved Dot com we'll get into so much today but i really wanted to get michael's take today because we're in an interesting point in american history the heels of the 2020 election and the pandemic still dealing with the pandemic talks of gun control our second amendment rights being in my mind infringed upon cancel culture the border surge which it's going on silent ears at the moment the biden presser which just recently happened so i felt the best way to forge ahead was to learn from the past. I know Michael shares the same sentiment, and there's so many things in American history we can learn from to help us as a people today. So for me, this goes beyond Trump, former President Trump, beyond Biden, and so I wanted to turn to one of the best students of history I know, my old friend, Michael Medved. Michael, I miss our chats whenever you would come to San Diego, so to reconnect it is an absolute treat, man. How are you?
1: I'm doing terrifically well. I mean, the most important things in life are incredibly good. Good. I've gotten my second vaccine, so uh, I'm one of the... Uh, it's no longer the few. I mean, this has been a very, very good development for the United States of America. And uh, I think it gives us something to be grateful for. And the other most important thing is we have a uh, new grandson who uh, arrived on January 29th. Nice. So he's a twenty twenty one baby it's our fourth grandchild, and my wife is much too young to be a grandmother of all <laughs> those people but this is this is one of the great blessings in life. We now have more grandchildren than we have children. We have three kids, and uh the two married kids have uh, gotten right to work and uh and we have the unbelievable privilege Noah of living in the same neighborhood with our two married uh, grand, uh, children and the four grandchildren. So that makes life, uh, and, and with all the troubles and turmoil and what have you that's going on and the challenges of work and all of that, and working from home during this year of pandemic,
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, with all of that, the, the grandchildren make it all worthwhile. I, I, I will give you what I think was a profound bit of wisdom it was passed on to me when this process began, Sure, uh, which is uh, being a grandparent is the one thing in life that is not overrated.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. What's your grandchild, your new grandchild's name, by the way?
1: He's Micah. And, awesome. uh Micah is actually, he's, he's our grandchild son who's seven months old and the new one, He's baby David. He's David Medved, just like my late father, um, who, by the way, moved our whole family to San Diego when I was um, uh, five years old. Yeah, it
0: used to be your hometown.
1: Yeah. And uh, my dad used to work at Convair, or General Dynamics, I think, as it was more recently known. Yep. And uh, he taught at uh, San Diego State and uh so i i think of him all the time he would be thrilled to have a uh the great grandson bearing his name
0: that's awesome and you hit a nail right on the head there michael through this last year where we've been dealing with the pandemic and my 20 year old sons well they're not 20 they're in their 20s they're 23 they live with me and to be able to have that extra special time with them and to connect even more than we normally would it's by far over the highlight it has really brought us closer as a family unit and i think there's a lot of us out there that have experienced that same thing
1: no that's exactly right i mean i i know that uh, the social planners and the commentators in politics and in culture all talk about what a terrible thing it is that uh, there are young people 25 35 even who are living at home uh that's not a terrible thing that's the way it used to be amen and uh and it it uh, as long as parents are not crazy and the kids are not crazy or burdensome uh, generations can strengthen each other enormously. I can't tell you how much I've learned from my three kids. We're very excited because uh, with uh, this Passover weekend, our oldest, who is our only unmarried child, is, is uh, actually home from uh, New York where she's a high school teacher. And I was thinking about it because she was on the plane recently. and I was thinking about her flying out here. I've learned a great deal from Sarah, hmm. uh, and uh, and and again, being able to teach her children. Of course, the most important thing for a parent. The next most important thing is to be able to learn from the kids. That's and right. And I'm proud to say I have.
0: Yeah, we can teach them so much, but when we can actually acknowledge what we've learned from them, that's a gift in and of itself.
1: Yeah, and and again, and this this even goes to career things, which. Uh, look i there there's so much in politics that's wrong right now, and there there really is a great deal, but I think it it you become accustomed to it, especially when you work in the business and you become inured to it I hear that and I think uh uh the experience particularly of our oldest daughter the the teacher uh it is looking at politics from outside and seeing a great deal that is wrong with it
2: mm-hmm.
1: and where it's actually okay and you can survive and uh, you can have an audience that goes with you who, uh, who believe that it's, it's not simply a question of this personality or that personality in politics. It's a question of values. And uh, putting uh, values of of decency and community and conversation and, yes, even compromise, another C word, uh, at the center of our political uh, agenda.
0: Yeah, the big C word is something that you don't see almost at all anymore, and it's a crying shame. What events, Michael, in our nation's past, because you and I are big history men, We, we, we love learning from what came before us. What events that were pretty bleak that you remember offhand do you see as maybe good markers as how we can move forward as a nation today?
1: It's fascinating. Um, look, the um, the entire year of 1968 is a bleak marker. And the last chapter of uh, my, my new book, God's Hand on America... Uh, which is subtitled Divine Providence in the Modern Era. It's a sequel to the prior bestseller, uh, The American Miracle. And if you look at 1968, terrible things happened. Uh, I was present for the assassination of Robert Kennedy. And then just a few weeks before that, the assassination of Dr. King. And what I write about in my book is... There were 160 cities across the country that had devastating violence. I mean, much, much worse than any of these recent riots that we've experienced where whole neighborhoods were burned down and hundreds of people literally were killed in in conflicts with the police and the National Guard in riots following the death of Dr. King, who was not a violent person at all. He was an apostle of peace and brotherhood and unity and of America living up to its own best ideals.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And when you look at how we emerged from that year, and uh, everything looking incredibly bleak, I think it it was literally only 12 years between that 1968 and what people call Mourning of America and the arrival of Ronald Reagan, Mm -hmm. and I think correcting a great deal of what was wrong in American life, and helping to inspire new hopefulness in the United States. And and basically, leaving that notion of the 1960s that everything has to be different, we have to transcend the American past, the message that Reagan sent, and he was actually sending it when he ran for president the first time, a lot of people forget he was a candidate briefly for president in
2: 1968.
1: Mm-hmm. And part of what he talked about is doing precisely what you're talking about noah which is finding inspiration from the past not something that we want to cut ourselves off some not something that we want to condemn and part of that taking inspiration from the past is understanding that you are not a victim if if you have been fortunate enough to have been born in the united states of america or to have come here in the United States to the United States of America and become part of our great country. If that has happened for you, you've won life's lottery. <laughs> That's right. That's right. You're one of the luckiest human beings who has ever lived. Because if you think about the number of people who live in America today with the opportunities we have. I mean, just we were talking before I mentioned that my dad uh used to teach at San Diego State. Mm-hmm. Do you know, at the, when we left San Diego, which was uh, 1963, uh, in 1965, do you know what percentage of American adults had college education?
0: I don't offhand. What is it?
1: Five percent. Wow. Okay. It, it, and And you could say, well, yes, part of that was because they actually taught you useful stuff in high school, which is not always the case today. And it's not always the case today. They teach you useful stuff in universities either. I acknowledge that. But again, the, the number of people who represent the first person in their family to actually have the privilege of attending college. For my grandparents, who were all immigrants, the idea that their kids would go, and grandkids and great-grandkids would go on to have the choice of going to college or not, that's, that's an amazing gift.
2: Oh, it
0: is. That
1: Americans shouldn't take for granted.
0: I think a lot of times that that they do take it for granted. I'm not saying everybody, but that opportunity is so important, and I think forgetting the past is something that actually is quite dangerous. And so we need to remember, and again, and reflect on that, and build on that to set that path forward. And man, how I miss Ronald Reagan. You were just talking about Reagan not too long ago. Michael Medved, our guest, go to michaelmedved.com, check out about his columns, his three-hour radio show. Michael, what's your overall outlook with America's current path? Have we seen darker days in our long history, or is this a new state of dire straits? I'm interested on your perspective on this.
1: No, of course we've seen darker days in our history. 1968, which I was alluding to, was much darker. The Civil War in particular was much darker. And look the 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 pro- america has problems right now and the pandemic has been awful we are emerging from that and uh we should keep in mind some of the unbelievable american achievement with the pandemic and we are now uh, uh leading the world in terms of the sheer number of vaccinations that we've been able to administer this was a great triumph of American industry and of the American free enterprise system. Normally yes. takes decades. Yes it does. And and by the way it's it's one of those things that I've been saying on the air for a while. It would be a good thing for him for President Biden to give some credit to President Trump for the development of the vaccine. And uh and, and look I, it's one of those things that I think it would be a great thing for President Trump to join the other former presidents and the other former first ladies in urging people to get that vaccine. And uh, certainly the, the idea, and it troubles me, worries me a little bit, the, the polling shows that the only group in America that seems to have a, a strong resistance to getting this life-giving vaccine that was developed under Operation Warp Speed with the leadership of President Trump, the only significant group reluctant to get the vaccine appears to be Republicans. Now, I want Republicans to live and prosper and multiply and be well and take over the House of Representatives and take over the U.S. Senate. But that's not going to happen if we disproportionately die because we're resisting getting a life-giving vaccine.
0: What do you think the reason for that is, Michael, if uh, my I might ask what your opinion is on that?
1: A uh, proliferation of conspiracy theories. Uh, it, look, part of what happens, and I, I, I'm just writing about this, I also do a, a column every week for Newsweek, and I'm, I'm doing a, a piece for Newsweek about this. What What happens is when people see a dire event and there's no real rational explanation for it or understanding of it Uh, conspiracy theories put things in context because at least you may not understand why this dire event or this uh, assassination or disaster has happened but you'll have someone to blame and look it is not american It frankly isn't appropriate for people who believe in a Judeo-Christian way of looking at things to look at something that needs correction and to say, I don't care about fixing this, I just care about who to blame. Mm. And uh, some of the conspiracy theories about Bill Gates wanting to plant chips into people and he's funded the vaccine secretly and the vaccines are really all part of this general hoax and it's not a real disease and it's not a real pandemic. And I'm sorry, I know people who've died. I I, I do and it's incredibly sad. And I know people who have you must as well. Everybody must know somebody who's gone through COVID-19...
0: Not, not to interrupt you, Michael, but I think for as long as this has gone on, you know, a year plus now, it's pretty safe to say that everybody knows somebody that has been affected by this, whether it's just been stricken by the disease and they've recovered, or whether they have become seriously ill, or even if they have died. It's been around long enough it's infected uh, people worldwide. I think that's pretty safe to say.
1: No, it, it is, and we're we're approaching half a million Americans who've died. Well, more people will have died, uh, from COVID-19 than World War two in America, uh, and Vietnam and Korea combined. And you can throw in, uh, our recent wars in Afghanistan and Iraq as well. It's a terrible thing. And again, I don't compare it to a war, uh, it, because it it is one of those things where there is no ultimate victory. And one of the things that I think we we do need to do is unite behind support for some of the medical professionals. One of the people that I have on my show fairly regularly is um, Dr. Jeff Tomlin, who's a colonel in the Marine Corps. He's a former Marine pilot. He's an Annapolis graduate, and he's a very distinguished physician, who's president of Evergreen Health, which is uh, up near where I live. It's in Kirkland, Washington. They were the first hospital in the country to treat uh, COVID-19 victims. Mm. And the heroism involved with some of our medical care professionals, including my wonderful daughter-in-law, who is a nurse and uh, has... Um, uh, only interrupted her career because of pregnancy, which is a good reason. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, a- again, the the pride that Americans should feel at responding to this crisis, I think, is considerable. And I think that history will look well upon uh, the people in this country who have... Uh, Uh, tried very hard to minimize the impact of this devastating pandemic.
0: I agree. And I think a lot of people have come together. And I think now you're also starting to see people trying to not only rely on the vaccine, people have their different opinions about that. But now you're kind of getting back to more of, hey, what therapeutics can we come up with as well? So if people aren't going to get vaccinated, there are other treatments that they can fall back on and rely on to still keep everybody safe.
1: Right, which is which is all for the good, and and I know that there's some people out there who are very skeptical of the vaccine, and I would just urge those folks to listen to uh, people uh, like the the head of the National Institutes of Health, uh, Dr. Francis Collins, who is an evangelical Christian and a conservative, and he's a He's somebody who is a, a brilliant scientist. He was the first one to uh, break down the full human genome and uh, a potential Nobel Prize winner someday. In any event, if you listen to people about like that, about how valuable this vaccine is and how effective, it's not perfect, nothing is, but you greatly reduce your chances of suffering and death Mm. Uh, when you get your vaccine.
0: It definitely brings a lot of people hope, which is what I want to get into now, just the topic of hope, because you've been in conservative talk radio for quite some time, and you've always been even fascinated by it before you started your career. There's even a chapter in your old book, which is one of my favorites. I still hold it very dear to my heart. Right turns about that topic, and I think taking these lessons that we've been talking about in history that we've been discussing and maybe putting that at the front, the forefront of talk radio throughout our discussions can really help bring that message of hope to the people, to the listeners that listen to some of these shows, my show, your show, on a weekly or daily basis, because people are feeling pretty hopeless right now, especially if they're not in line with what the current administration is doing. And it can get pretty daunting.
1: But it shouldn't, because we've been through much worse. If you look at the beginning of the Clinton administration, uh, Bill Clinton won handily in 1992 when he came in with huge majorities in both the Senate and the House and uh, basically uh, made a lot of mistakes and then in 1994 came the uh, Republican Revolution and you know how many seats we won 55 seats you talk about history in 1994 Uh, in the House of Representatives alone All we need to take the House this time is to win five seats, one-tenth as well as we did in 94. The secret of Newt Gingrich's success in 94 Mm -hmm. was he wasn't just talking about the lousy things that uh, Bill Clinton had done after he got elected president. Uh, Newt Gingrich was saying, we're going to do better, and here's our contract with America. Here are the ten promises we are going to keep, and by golly, when they got elected to the house they kept that promise because they had up and down votes on all ten items of the contract with america and i hope republicans will have the good sense to do something positive like that when we're running in 2022 not to just go over grievance but to uh... to actually take a look at what needs to change in our politics in our economics in our culture And what Republicans can actually do to make things better, not just to uh, basically stop the momentum of the Democrats.
0: Two-part question, Michael. So with what you just said about Republicans, do you feel? what do you feel, rather, is the message that Republicans should be focusing on right now? Because they should start talking about it right now leading into 2022 to take back the House. Second part question, do you feel that the Republican leadership has really been all talk and no action? And I've heard some people out there, and I've just thought about it myself quite frankly is now the time for a third party because the republican party at one point was that alternative party or is that something we should not focus on
2: well first
1: of all just to go back in history and this is something that again i've been writing about recently and it's very very important that people get this straight the republican party was never a third party the republican party came into existence because the whigs had collapsed the Whig party the first time the Republicans ever fielded a candidate for president was 1856, when they nominated John C. Fremont, mm-hmm. a great pathfinder. And in that campaign, there was no Whig candidate for president. So the old Second Party, the old Opposition Party, had collapsed. Henry Clay had died, Daniel Webster had died, and the Whigs didn't have a candidate. The Republican candidate, second two years before that, the Republicans were established in March of eighteen fifty four that was the first time anyone used the title republican party in ripon wisconsin and in that election of eighteen fifty four the republicans won control of the house of representatives the first time they were ever on the ballot Mm -hmm. so they were never a third party and uh... third parties are a dead end in american history uh... they are a disaster and the only the only result of conservatives Whether they are pro-Trump conservatives or anti-Trump conservatives, the only result of a, a new conservative party attempting to siphon off vote from the established Republican Party would be to hand sweeping victory to the Democrats, and I don't want to see that.
0: Plus, I think it would take too much time. That's one thing that I have discovered in analysis, is if you really wanted to do it in a viable way, the amount of time that it would take, plus the amount of time with what we're dealing with in politics right now, it doesn't add up, does it?
1: No, I don't think it does. And look, in terms of the established leadership, I, um, I don't think people should underestimate Mitch McConnell. And I know he's not the most charismatic guy, and I know he looks like a turtle. And I know that he's not the most blindingly brilliant speaker around, and he isn't Mr. Energy or Mr. Charisma, but this guy is going to be remembered very well in history. We have three fine conservative justices on the Supreme Court because of Mitch McConnell. Without him, we don't have Attorney General Merrick Garland. We have Supreme Court Associate Justice Merrick Garland. Without Mitch McConnell, there's no confirmation for Gorsuch, for Kavanaugh, or certainly not for Amy Coney Barrett. And uh aside from which, Mitch having a very, very tough hand, because he's never had a big solid majority in the Senate. Right. Uh, I think has played his cards very well. And I I do believe that from what I understand uh Mitch McConnell and Kevin McCarthy are thinking about something like a contract with America that would commit Republicans to a growth agenda it's for needed. growing the economy for actually simplifying taxes which we greatly need not raising taxes not putting on wealth taxes not punishing success the american people don't want to see punishment of success and I think that is one of those issues that will uh, will work very much in behalf of conservatives in the race in 2022 and probably in the race in 2024.
0: I agree with you. I, I think that that message needs to start right now because one thing Republicans have failed to do in the past is to start the message early and also repeat it as many times as possible. And the Democrats are masters at that.
1: You're entirely correct. And... Uh, Look, I I think what they're going to be running on is, hey, we're the guys who sent you $1400 checks.
2: Yeah, that's right.
1: And uh, you know, Harry Hopkins, who actually left the Democratic Party because he didn't agree with the new deal, uh he was asked about, well, do you think that uh, Roosevelt will succeed with this new deal that you don't like? Uh I I said Harry Hopkins, I meant Al Smith, who was a prior governor of New York and prior presidential candidate for the Democrats. So they asked Al Smith, uh, did he think that Roosevelt would succeed with a new deal? And he said, nobody ever shot Santa Claus.
0: (laughs) I want to end on a light note, actually ending with that Santa Claus comment is actually pretty light in and of itself, but you're also a big movie critic, people that know you know that, and we've had a lack of going to the movies for the last year, theaters, at least in California starting to open back up, so there's a somewhat of an anticipation of what we can look forward to. Is there any movie coming out, Michael, as the theaters open back up again that you're excited about reviewing?
1: Well, uh, i yeah. Looking at the movies just uh, released this Friday, uh, before this Passover weekend that uh, that we've gone into, uh, there's actually a uh, an okay family film that is rated PG and people can actually see with their kids, and it's with uh, uh, Jennifer Garner, and uh, the the film is called Yesterday, and it's silly and it's comedic. But what's nice about it is it doesn't show parents as idiots and something wrong with. Finally, <laughs> yeah, it it actually has two parents. Edgar Ramirez plays the dad, and uh, Jennifer Garner is the mom, and they have three kids. One of whom's a teenager, and then two others who are preteens. And the kids are really nice and likable. They're not bratty and spoiled, and the parents are really nice. And they get in some goofy situations and there's some slapstick humor that's kind of laid on too thick, but it's an upbeat, a uh, feel good, uh family comedy. And it's been a while since we've had something like that.
0: And I think right now we, that's the type of film that we all need.
1: Well, I think that Americans are going to respond to it very well. Good. Uh, and, and again, <laughs> there's nothing in it. It's shocking. And, uh, uh, right now, that, that it, it appears to me, is one of the most important things for Americans to keep in mind, is that we have never been known as gloomy people. Scandinavians, gloomy people. <laughs> Germans, gloomy people. Uh, Americans are optimistic, can-do people. We look on the bright side. When you look at Tocqueville or Saint Jean de Cravecœur or any of these Frenchmen who wrote about early America back in the early eighteen hundreds, what was striking about Americans was the feeling that they could do anything. That's still true. It and is. we still need to emphasize that can do American optimism, the idea of gratitude beating grievance. It wins
0: every time. It wins every time, and it's going to continue to win, and that's why we need to continue to boost each other up. On an entertainment note, I want to end on, Michael. I'm actually looking forward to as long as theaters stay open, and we're praying that they do. In November, they're releasing an 80s revival, uh, Ghostbusters Afterlife, with one of my favorites, Bill Murray. Are you excited about this? Because I've been waiting for this direct sequel for quite some time.
1: I think it it should be better than that female version of Ghostbusters, which was a big disappointment. Look, if you're talking about long time movies, they delayed the new West Side Story by Steven Spielberg. West Side Story, I think, is one of the greatest musicals ever written, hands down. And there's another great musical that Lin Manuel R- Miranda did before Hamilton, uh, called In the Heights, which is I've seen it on stage twice. And it's sensational. And uh, uh, Lin-Manuel was apparently involved in making of the movie musical. And I've heard only wonderful things about it. That's also coming, I think, around Christmas season.
0: And I'm glad you mentioned that, too, because anything that Spielberg usually is at the helm with is just absolute gold. So I can't wait for that.
1: Yes. And by the way, people who haven't seen Spielberg's great movie, Lincoln.
0: Oh, go see it.
1: Yes, it should watch it. It 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 really does bring American history to life in a way that will make every viewer feel good.
0: It's one of my favorite historical movies of all time, to be quite frank.
1: Uh, and uh, you couldn't choose better. It certainly is. I mean, they are all kind of, and I'll tell you another movie that could encourage people a lot. Sure. Which is 1939. Mister Smith goes to Washington. And when they're talking now about getting rid of the filibuster, Uh the entire movie turns upon the importance of the filibuster, and it's very much worth seeing. Uh, 1939 with Jimmy Stewart and uh, Thomas Mitchell and Gene Arthur and Claude Rains, and for people who love old movies, I'll confess I do. And I do, too. This is a great one.
0: So check that one out. Check out also Michael Medved. I can't believe it's already been a half an hour and the show's over. We are going to have to have Michael Medved, and since it's my show, I will have Michael Medved on more often because it's been far too long, my friend. Thank you for sharing the wisdom of just where America is going, what we you know have learned and can use that to our advantage in going forward and just having a light conversation with movies as well. That's always something that you and I both enjoy. We'll do it again real, real soon. And again, if you are listening, this is pre-recorded. Michael is very, very devout in his faith and making sure that he's dotting all the I's and crossing all the T's, and we honor that here at uh, KCBQ. Michael, thank you so much for coming on, my friend, and people can check out your show at michaelmedved.com and get your brand new book as well, which is God's Hand on America. Thanks, my friend.
1: Uh, Thank you, Noah, and uh, best wishes to you this wonderful Passover and Easter season of rebirth and new life.
0: Amen, brother. Noah here and across the county. Go to michaelmedved.com.